the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Thanks again for joining me on Season 2 of the Instructor Podcast, where we speak to leaders, experts, innovators and game changers from inside and outside the industry to see where we can improve. And today we've got another cracking episode with Diane Hall. But before we dive into that episode, I just want to mention a few dates to you because there's some pretty exciting things coming up in our industry. Uh, One personal one for me. So on the 30th of September, on Thursday the 30th, between 12 and 6, I'm going to be doing a six-hour live podcast on Facebook featuring six different guests every hour. Now, I'm doing this because it's International Podcast Day, so a little bit of a celebration there, and to raise money for Diabetes UK because by that point, I'll have done a million steps over the last three months raising money for Diabetes UK. So you don't expect you to tune in for all six hours, but feel free to drop onto the Facebook page and say hello while I'm live over there. Also, following that, on the 5th of October, we've got the Go Roadie webinar. Now, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but be sure to tune in that. You can register for it beforehand and there's some expert sessions from myself and Bob Morton, Howard Floyd and Chris Benstead and that's free so be sure to go and check that out and then following that on the 10th of October is the Instructor Expo down in Coventry. Well I'll say down, it's down for me but in Coventry so I'm going to be there uh, pottering about. I'm not presenting or anything like that, I'm not that good but I will be there pottering about so make sure you come and say hello. So yes there's some great stuff coming up in our industry so there's a lot to look forward to including this show so i'm going to stop talking and i'm going to let you listen and enjoy welcome to the instructor podcast i am joined today by the delightful diane hall how are you today diane I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you. Yeah, it's great to have you on board. I know we've spoken uh, briefly before, but we've never actually uh, been face-to-face before, so it's, it's great to put a, a real face to the name. Yeah, and then I realised it's a podcast, so I didn't even have to brush my hair or do my makeup. Well, no, but I um, <laughs> definitely <laughs> want to make a good impression for me. The better impression you can make for me, the better. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so I like to ask my guests to start off by telling us a little about themselves. So tell us a little bit about you and a bit about what you do. Okay, so I'm in my late 50s now. Um, I'm a driving instructor and have been for about 20 years. Back in 2007, 2008, um, I got so disheartened by the number of good drivers who went to pieces on the day, came back having failed, going, oh, but I never do that with you on lesson. And I'd just seen Paul McKenna doing all of his sort of weird and wonderful techniques. And I kind of had this epiphany that, if I could kind of brainwash all these pupils into believing that they could pass and that they could drive as well on test as they do with me on lesson, then, you know, you've got, you're onto a winner. Um, 13 years later, Elevoid Pass was launched. I had um, a grant and award from uh, Millennium Awards Trust for Social Entrepreneurs that enabled me to write my original book, Elevoid Pass, and to train as a therapist um, to help nervous and anxious learners and also those with dyslexia and dyspraxia. Um, so 13 years on, we now run workshops. We do Zoom sessions, one-to-ones. We have driving test nerves, online course for learners, pro version for instructors, a little bit like Theory Test Pro. And I think 
ADIs now from 20 odd years ago, where definition of multisensory was, you know, um, shouting at pupils in different tones, helping with anxiety was pull yourself together, grow a pair, get a grip, get yourself to Tesco's, buy yourself some manic pills. And now as time's gone on, um, anxiety is so, so much on the increase. Um, World Health Organization reckon that by 2022, at least 50% of our learners will experience some form of anxiety, whether that be specific anxiety disorder, general anxiety disorder, OCD, depression, or the, the like. And we're teaching all these and we need strategies to help them. So that's where Chris and I come in. Excellent. Well, as you've been speaking there, I've been noting stuff down and I've got about five things I want to speak about. Just from right, just on those. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I mean, the first thing I'm going to say is that this podcast has always been about talking to experts, leaders, innovators and game changers. And as I said, this is really the first time we've, we've properly interacted, but your name just keeps popping up wherever I look on social media, uh, not just by by, by learners that have used you, but by, um, by other instructors as well and, and other instructors recommending you know, you to come on this podcast to me. So, so yeah, you definitely fit at least a few of those categories. So it's great to have you on. One question I did want to ask you, just on what you said there about becoming, um, uh, oh God, I forgot, what, was it a, a therapist? Yeah, become a qualified well, therapist. therapist. So the um, techniques I use are the same as used on the soldiers returning from Afghanistan with PTSD. So that's my speciality. And then also Chris's speciality, he used to be a psychotherapist with CAMS children's and adolescents mental health services so we kind of have a combination of both that we can tweak depending on what people need so with being a therapist what are the uh, so what do the qualifications entail to actually become that because I've, I've no idea right so I trained as a thought field therapist back in 2008 the beginning of I had a grant and an award as I say from unlimited so I probably spent 18 months initially from 2007 on research in different techniques, everything from CBT, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, hypnotherapy, thought field therapy that I do, EFT, which is a spin-off of TFT. And I kept coming back to this thought field therapy. And I've got to say, if anybody's seen our courses, um, I think I'm Chris Benstead, I believe, name me the witch after I did my, one of the instructors called it tappy hand darts to stop pupils muddling up lefts and rights. And when people first see this, like me, they're naturally sceptical. Then when they see the results, it's phenomenal. So my training was relatively shorter than Chris's because Chris went the traditional route um, through uni as a psychotherapist. But the two techniques, they just blend so well together. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting that you got labelled a witch because uh, <laughs> I had someone on the show, I think it was the second episode of this season, a lady called Shabnam Raja, who worked with me a couple of years ago and did some uh, hypnotherapy and, uh, and that side of it. And I, I labelled her a witch, said everything she's doing is voodoo. This isn't normal. You can't do these things in my brain. Um, Yesterday I did three one-to-one sessions. One, one was with a learner who's failed five tests, having panic and anxiety attacks. One was for a lady in her 40s who lost a mum last year, postnatal depression from having a baby, now can't drive on the motorway, she feels hemmed in, she's worried she's going to die. And then the third one was a PDI who's only going to get one attempt at the part three because of the theory running out. 
So three totally different scenarios, learner driver, experienced driver, and PDI. Similar techniques, but tweaking them for the individual, just as you would with lessons, you know, not one size fits all. And if I recorded the look on these people's faces, Terry, it's incredible. You can have somebody with the most intense terror, um, full-blown anxiety and panic about a driving test or driving on a motorway or a PDI that they're going to lose the house if they don't qualify this time. You know, the anxiety is so high. And within two or three minutes of using my thought fill therapy, uh, the lady on the motorway, we were doing uh, favorite motorways last night, she looked at me and said, sorry, just, um, um, sorry, just remind me again, what, what, what was I meant to be anxious about? <laughs> and, you know, when I first saw thought fill therapy back in 2008, I was incredibly sceptical. And I think I tried to shove it down everybody's throat. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm so evangelical about it. Now I'm a little bit more laid back along the lines of, do you know, quite frankly, I don't care whether you believe in it or not. It's like an antibiotic. You don't have to believe in an antibiotic for it to work. It works. And 13 years on, very, very rare is it not highly effective. The the word you mentioned a few times there, and, and you mentioned it quite a bit in the beginning as well, was anxiety. Um, yes. And it's a word that gets, I think, branded about a lot. You know, when whenever yeah. I get new customers coming to me, they always talk about having anxiety. So I think the, the the two questions I'd like to ask you around that one is quite the the broad question of what is anxiety. You know, if you were defining it, what is it? And the second one tying into that is, do you think that people use it too flippantly? Do you think you'll get someone that's a little bit nervous because it's a driving test, so nothing, you know, it's, it's different, so they class that as anxiety. Yes. Right. Can we deal with that second point first? So I'm a mentor on the How to Pass Your Driving Test Facebook group, which has got about 16,000 members. I also do a lot of work with Driving Test Success with a four-in-one, and they have the Learner Hub. So there must be 20 posts on there every day. I'm really nervous. I suffer anxiety. I've got my driving test coming up. I'm really anxious. I would say probably out of all of those posts, only one or two of them have got full-blown general anxiety or specific anxiety disorders. It's just like saying, oh, I'm dyslexic, and it might just be somebody that muddles a couple of letters up as opposed to um, statemented and diagnosed with dyslexia. So it is um, a banded about phrase. So there's no doubt that anxiety is on the increase. We know this. But then, as you say, Terry, it's a used phrase so often. And what frustrates me, I think, and lots of the other instructors is it's used as an emotional crutch quite often. It's used as an excuse. So they'll go, oh, I failed today due to nerves. Now, yes, they may have done. And where mine and Chris's techniques come in is it's beneficial for a learner who is at the required standard, who the instructor thinks can drive to the standard, who is driving independently without their instructor's help, but just goes to pieces on the day because of the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, causing brain fog, brain freeze, and this anticipatory anxiety, shutting down the peripheral vision, shutting down the hearing, so it's auditory exclusion. Um, They're in the right lane. All of a sudden, they turn left for no apparent reason, whereas normally they can cope. So this is where all the techniques come in. What they won't do is help anybody to pass who can't drive. 
it's not going to help a PDI or um, pass a part three or an ADI the Sanders check if they're a rubbish instructor. What this will do is reduce the anxiety so they can perform under pressure. So that's a long answer, but yes, people use it as an excuse. They will often say, I failed due to nerves when they might have been nervous because they knew deep down they weren't at the required standard. Yeah. When I do um, a one-to-one session with people on Zoom, we can pretty easily find out with Q&A techniques whether it really is down to anxiety or whether they're just not ready. Yeah. So that was the second question. Uh, what was the first one? What is, <laughs> um, sorry. No, it's right. Uh, what is anxiety? If you were to sort of give, put a defi- definition on it. Oh, goodness me. This is where you probably need Chris to give you a definitive answer because anxiety, fears, phobias can come in very many forms. Hmm. As far as thought feel therapy for the techniques I use, you will use the techniques, whether you describe it as overwhelm, fear, stress, nerves, panic, anxiety. In terms of the thought feel therapy, that is a different name for the same emotion in terms of what I do. In terms of what Chris does, he would say there's a very big difference if somebody suffers a general anxiety disorder or it's a specific anxiety disorder is driving the cause or is it the outcome of something else? So it might be sat next to an examiner, scares the bejesus out of them because they're worried that they might fail. Well, that will be test nerves. The lady yesterday who's suffering grief, postnatal depression as well, the driving anxiety isn't the cause, that's the outcome of other things. So this is where Chris and I would really drill down and all the new workshops that we're planning for this year and next year, we're delving into the psychology a lot more for instructors. So they can really tell when a pupil says, oh, I'm really anxious. Well, is it genuine anxiety? Is it gad? Is it sad? Or is it just they're a bit nervous because they don't want to do the hill start at the busy, busy roundabout? Yeah, I think the, there's a difference in there between, like you said, genuine nerves and just not liking something. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, I mean, a personal example for me was, uh, I'm going back many years now, so when I had my driving test, I, I failed my first driving test miserably. Um, and I'm not blaming my instructor. I think I've told this story before on this show, but I've not, I'm not blaming my instructor, but I wasn't prepared. You know, they told me I was. Uh, it's like the example was, so they asked me to do a parallel park and I've never practiced parallel parks. So ah, the test good. went miserably. Um, but I went in really confident because everything that I'd practiced, I could do well. Mm. The problem was there were loads of stuff <laughs> I practiced. <laughs> yeah. But that one wasn't your fault, was it? No. I mean, look, I, you know, I always look back and I think now it, it was different then. There was less internet and that kind of stuff. I look back and I think, I still could have checked. I didn't just have to rely on my instructor. You know, I take a bit of responsibility. I think I could have asked my friends what they've done. I could have asked my parents. And then when my dad had said, oh, have you practiced parking? And I'm like, no, you know, so I still take a bit of responsibility. But yes, it, it was largely on the instructor. But the thing that sticks in my head was the second test, which I also failed miserably. And the reason I failed miserably was because I, all I could think about was my first test and yes. how badly it went. And there was this fear thinking, well, what else do I know? And it was a, I would class it as a fear at the time that it's always stuck with me. And I think I've told this on it before. I got in the wrong car on the test. Um, <laughs> I remember at the side of the road and he had a, a Ford Fiesta, a black Ford Fiesta with just L plates on or an L top box or it was. And I thought, and there were two 
part, you know, one in front of her. And I thought, I don't know which it is. I thought, I'll press the unlock button on the key. Yeah. Whichever one opens, that must be mine. Anyway, the last two's kite one must have pressed it at the same time because I saw the first <laughs> one open. I jumped in and steering wheel's like, I'm like crammed up in the front seat and I'm, and it didn't register. You can't stretch it. You six foot yeah. down to steering wheel in her car. Yeah, I'm just thinking, something's not right here. And uh, the examiner opened the door and went, I think you're in the wrong car. I'm like, yeah, I think I might be. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it had a massive impact. And I, I think I passed fourth time because the third test I did, my nerves had settled a bit. But I think by that, fir- I made a silly mistake on that third one, but I think by that third one, I'd kind of accepted I could drive. That yes. There was nothing I hadn't practised. So when I went to the fourth one, I'm like, no, I, I can do this. I- I've demonstrated there's nothing. The only thing that could change is like a random situation. Of course. And then because I'd, I accepted that and calmed down, I went and passed. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that to me, that's always been um, that's always been my... My example of that anxiety, of that fear from that first one where it's all going to go wrong. Absolutely. And I think that the issue is, I mean, again, picking up on a few points there, um, one of the main ones is whether you're thinking with calm frontal lobe, calm, logical, rational thought, or whether you're doing your chimp thinking, which we can talk about, is irrational, illogical, emotional thinking. And when you went to that other test having failed the first one, you are not focusing on the now, not focusing on the present. You're focusing on what's gone before. And I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this, but I heard this <laughs> without swearing and sounding very, very unladylike, but it's hard to do. So if you... I'll just if go you, for it. If you'll forgive me. I saw one the other day, and if you notice with your learners, they're quite often, they're not in the now. They're focusing on what they've just done or what they're just about to do. And then you end up with this little error that then becomes a snowball effect because they make one error and it goes on and on and on. It sort of self-perpetuates. And I saw this the other day and I thought, do you know what? That is so funny. And that's if you've got one foot in the past, one foot in the present, so in the future, you're actually whittling, you're pissing on your present. <laughs> <laughs> there isn't a lady like me. <laughs> And I thought that is so true with the learners and with PDIs or with ADIs for standards check. So you've got a PDI who's got a learner with them. The PDI is focusing so much on what they just said to the learner at that last roundabout and what they're going to be saying to the ra- to the learner when they come to the next roundabout that they're not focusing on where they are now. Yeah. And that's where they miss so much. And the same for the learners as well. So if you can use mind and Chris's techniques to take away the trauma, the upset, the frustration, the intimidation, or whatever emotion is still hanging off on the previous test. A bit like emptying the inbox in your computer, so it's almost like a clean slate. Then you can go into the next test, focusing on the now. So it doesn't matter that you failed your test at this roundabout a month ago. It doesn't matter that was then. This is now. There's no emotional attachment to it. Yeah, I could have done with you 15 years ago, I think. Um, I was doing it almost <laughs> 13 years ago. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a it's a really good point because you've just flashed up a, a test I had a couple of months ago, I think it was now. Uh, lads, you know, really good, really good standard. There's, there's no issues. He's just driving around wherever you go, no problem. Day at test, every junction he did, every set of lights and every roundabout he did, as soon as he'd, he'd done it, you were talking about it and yes. I didn't really click straight away. I just, just 
you know, it didn't register with me, but, and it's like you said, what he was doing was he wasn't focusing on the new road. Mm. It was thinking about the thing he'd just done. Yes. And the thing he'd just done was fine. Yeah. But the effect it was having was he was missing speed signs and yes. he wasn't picking up speed or, or wasn't, you know, judging the road. And I spent some time trying to stop him doing it, but it was like on the way to the test center that he started doing it. I failed his test and it was the, I, I don't think he listens to this show. So and it was the worst yeah. test result I've ever had. He absolutely just went to pieces. And he said to me afterwards, I think it would, that was a part of it. He says, every single thing I did on the test, I was thinking about what I'd done rather than what I were doing. Yes. Um, and I think that's the worst sort of impact of that I've seen. But the the other one, and I think this is along the similar line, I'd be interested to get your 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 expert thoughts on this. <laughs> it's, it's what I call the rear view mirror effect. If When someone stalls, so you're at a set of lights and the student stalls, or um, they're maybe even just a little bit slow setting off, the first thing they do is check the mirror. Yeah. And don't you wish you'd check them all the other times yes. as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, get my driver faults down on them tests. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and, and like I've had plenty of conversation about it, and we get to the bottom at the same time. It's like the, the concern goes to the person behind, they're not Absolutely. checking it safe, they think, What's that person thinking of me? Yeah, oh no, that's a really crucial one, actually. When Chris does therapy with people, one thing he says, and this is so poignant, it's so profound. Your job is not to concern yourself with what other people think of you. Your job is to concern yourself with what you think of yourself. And if you take a moment to internalise that, how many of us as ADIs or your learner drivers or in life in general spend our whole lives worrying what other people think of us and dealing with those consequences? And learners will then put emotions onto those people behind them. Oh, oh, he looks really mad at me. Oh, God, he's it, 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 really frustrated with me. I've held him up. Oh, but he hates me now. Where's that come from? All of a sudden, they've decided what this person behind is thinking about them. Now, obviously, some learners are different. Some will go, yeah, he had to learn once, you know, he's been a learner, no sweat. But I would say a lot of them, they do panic. They get this anxiety. And of course, what then happens is, oh, it's really close behind. What if I roll back? What if I stall? Oh, my God, I'm going to panic. Then the left legs start jittering yeah. on the clutch because they can't hold it still because the brain's flooding with adrenaline. Their picture isn't one of a little bit of gas, lifting the clutch gently, releasing the handbrake, smooth move off. Their picture is one of fear, one of anxiety, one of rolling back, one of panicking, one of stalling. And then all of a sudden, they've got this new learned reaction. I hate hill starts. And they've created, this is going a little bit deeper into the therapy, but your mind works in pictures. So if I said to you, describe a nice holiday, the first thing you do is get a picture of where you were. You wouldn't go, oh, it's BA flight number three, two, so-and-so, and it cost me this amount. You'd get a picture of the airport or the sun, the sand. So your mind thinks in pictures. It then creates feelings and emotions to go with those pictures that then ultimately become behaviours and traits. And this is something Chris and I are going to explore a lot with um, ADIs and PDIs in our workshops. You know, if you say driving test to somebody, what are their thoughts about it? What are their feelings and emotions? What are the physical outcomes? What are the behaviours and the traits? So that's quite... It's, Big subject and very interesting. 
Well, one of the questions I always ask the students on on their first lesson is, what are their concerns about driving? What are they not looking forward to? Because yeah. I always find it fascinating when my my mate says hill starts are really hard. Yeah. Because the ones that have been told that always find hill starts really hard. But the ones yeah, that haven't that been told that, yeah. yeah. And I think I that, like, like sorry. Benstead, you said I don't teach hill starts. There's no such thing as a hill start. It might have been Chris Benstead. Apologies if it's not. <laughs> but as soon as you say to somebody, now, you're going to do this particular manoeuvre um, or this roundabout. Now, do you know what? This is a really, really hard roundabout, this one is. All of a sudden, they've got this picture of something fearful. Or as you say, hill start, or, you know, you might roll back, this might happen, what you're scared of. And I remember being at college and learning to drive and everybody judges their lesson. How was your lesson today? Oh, it's brilliant. I didn't stall. Oh, it was useless. I stalled five times. And the whole lesson is judged on how many times I stalled. Not how many cyclists they would have knocked off the bike had the instructor not intervened because they'd not checked the mirrors. So they tend to judge it on stalling or whatever parameter, don't they? It's interesting you said that because I had a, I think uh, yesterday actually I had a conversation with a learner and she'd stalled once and I will talk to her about it and and. I said, how do you feel when you stall? You know, you're at the lights or whatever, and, and we've stalled in the car, how do you feel? And she's, key word she used was embarrassed. So she feels embarrassed, yeah. yeah, like everyone's watching her. I said, all right, how do you feel if you miss a mirror check? So if you don't check your, your mirror when you're going around that car or whatever, I said, how would you feel? She'd be okay. And I'm like, which do you think's probably the most dangerous? And she went, well, the mirror check. And it just seemed to click with her. that, And that obviously won't work for everyone, but just saying it that way seemed to click with her. It's like... Oh, yeah, those mirror checks are more important than the stall because the stall, I might just delay someone for five seconds. A mirror check, I might run someone over, and that seems to... That sounds like you've read some of my stuff, actually, because that's almost word for word. I'm trying to think which book that was in. It might have been either we're launching an app called Test Buddy, and I've done some courses on there for learners, you know, supervised private practice, insurance, and lots of different courses. And one of them's on the top 10 reasons for failure and how to avoid them. So about... I think the 2019 figures were six out of 10 test fails are attributable to lack of use of mirrors or acting on the information. And I say one of the things is that you learn by making physical errors. So you try to move off in third, it stalls. You drive off with a handbrake on, it stalls. You lift your clutch too quickly, it stalls. You drive too close to the pavement, the instructor's going to have to nudge the wheel or coach around it. Try and go up a hill in fifth. It doesn't do it. So all of these have tangible physical consequences. But a missed mirror check doesn't. So you can't say, oh, do you know what? That's a third kid I've knocked off their bike today. <laughs> Bloody hell, do you know what? I must remember to check my mirrors next lesson. And so this is where, as you say, is what can we do to take get them to take responsibility? And as you said, they're so focused on what other people are thinking of them, like the embarrassment um, or feeling intimidated by other road users. By the way, embarrassment takes about one and a half minutes to get rid of. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's in the driving test nerves and the driving test nerves pro. So um, anybody feels embarrassed um, takes about a minute and a half to get rid of that. Oh. And, then, but- and they, what they'll then do is instead of emotionally thinking, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed, I've got, oh, they'll go, do you know what? That's okay. Everybody stalls. They had to learn once. It's a learning process. And all of a sudden they're thinking rationally again, not illogically and emotionally. 
That uh, that explains a lot because I get embarrassed quite easy. So I know where that one of that comes from. When we finish in a bit, or I'll do, I'll I'll get rid of your embarrassment for you. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, I'm I, I don't know how I do it. Uh, it's not intentional. It's not a skill. It's purely accidental. But I'm quite good at working stuff out sometimes, just purely accidentally, like without a student. But you did say something there that that pricked my ears up that I didn't know. And you said you were releasing a new app called Test Buddy. Uh, do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, okay. So it's a month or so off, I think. So it's it's not my app. Um, I work with um, Alan Baker at New Driver Program, NDP. So for those instructors that know about our online courses and ebooks or Driving Test Knows Pro and the like, um, it's all hosted by NDP, New Driver Program. Uh, and I've been working with Alan about three years now and really great guy and got some good products. Test Buddy, they've got Driving Lesson Roots app that's coming out but test buddy is going to be um a pl- you can find it at testbuddy.app but it's going to be launched as an app in the next couple of months so it's an online platform so there'll be courses for learner drivers um there'll be uh i think some theory test stuff on there know your road signs hopefully some more hazard perception stuff my some of my nerve stuff it's an online platform instructors can create courses on there there's blogs on there and it's going to be a good marketplace for learners to talk to one another um, and share ideas so we're hoping that it's going to be really beneficial instructors can create their own groups on there and add their learners to it a little bit like a facebook group i want to touch back on on one other thing we kind of touched on which is language and the use of language because (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like the reaction that provoked yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it is this one of your favorite subjects oh absolutely yeah <laughs> it's it's something i'm by no means an expert in but it's something that fascinates me and i was looking back over the episodes of this show the, the season two of this podcast i've done and i think that with the guests i've got on you can see where my brain's at at the minute because there's it's therapists and psychotherapists and hypnotherapists and um uh, mindfulness experts all this you can see where my mind's at and i think a lot of it's around language and i'm getting better at uh, using appropriate language, not just for other people, but for me, uh, including yeah. you saying the phrase getting better when yes. normally I just say I'm crap. Um, so, but I'm going to give you one example from me that always sticks in my head and I'm going to kind of throw this over to you a little bit. But um, when I first started as an instructor, I used to, I'm going to watch our expressions. I say this actually, I used to tell my students to um, don't move that clutch. Don't move that clutch. And then they would inevitably move the clutch. Negatives. So if I said, whatever you do, Terry, at this moment in time, do not think of a pink elephant. Whatever you do, do not think of it. Well, now I'm thinking of pink elephants, Diane. Of course. The problem is your brain doesn't work. And that's the standard quoted one or purple giraffe or whatever. And I think most people have heard that. It's a bit like we, we talk about our dogs earlier, and I could say to one of my dogs, sit, not the deaf one, but you could say to my <laughs> dog, sit, it is sit, but you can't say to a dog, don't sit. And your brain doesn't work in negatives. Now, we, we've moved on a little bit on this with the workshops, but on the original workshops I was doing five or six years ago, we were talking about the importance of language. Um, an instructor would go, don't look at the gear lever. Where does the eye go? Looks at the gear lever. So can we change that to a positive? So whilst changing the gear, look in the mirror. 
or something like that. Um, I mean, you, you have loads of language ones, you know, take the next road on the left, or do you mean this one? Or see, see you next next weekend, or do you mean this one or next? So there's lots of anomalies in, in language that we use on a, a, a daily basis. Slow it down quicker than that. Well, you meant to say break, break more or break harder or whatever. So that's where we can use misleading language. Where Chris and I tend to talk about language is the language we use that creates emotions. So just a quick analogy for you. Just imagine you're 30,000 feet up in an aeroplane now. Somebody opens a door, undoes your seatbelt, makes you step towards the edge of the plane. They've got a hand in the middle of your back and you're just about to be pushed out. How do you feel? Yeah, not very nice, I think. Not very nice. Terrified, <laughs> yes. shit, panic, you're going to die. Now, that would be an appropriate reaction, and that language would be appropriate language at that point. You are in fear of your life. You are terrorised. But just because you're suffering some anxiety and some stress doesn't mean you're in danger. And when people use emotive words, I, in my pad when I do all my uh, therapy sessions, I jot down all the words that ADIs, PDIs and drivers use. I'm anxious, I'm stressed, my heart's racing, I panic, I'm really scared, I, I just can't focus. And they use all this language that then is creating all these pictures in the head and it's this vicious circle. So what we do within the therapy and in the ebooks and the courses and everything is show them how changing the language supports and soothes them. And we use language that gives them the correct response to what they're feeling. So it's not sheer terror. It, they're not having a full-blown panic attack. They're not in physical danger. They are just experiencing that rush of cortisol and adrenaline to put them in that state because the pictures that their mind is creating. So we show them with various different techniques how they're basically lying to themselves. Yeah. Or then they'll use protective measures. And they'll, they'll say things like, grow a pair, pull yourself together, get a grip, stop being sympathetic. It's only part three. It's only a standard check. It's not a deathbed moment. Don't be so stupid. But you'd never talk to a friend like this but you talk to yourself like it. There's yeah. something lovely on Facebook the other day, and I share this when I do therapy sessions, is uh, I said this on Facebook a few weeks ago. Um, I never knew what a, how much of a bully I was until I heard what I said to myself. And I'm sure if you said to one of your pupils, Terry, do you know what, mate? Give in. Get yourself a bus pass. You're crap. I don't even know why you're bothering to learn. You're useless. You're the worst pupil I've ever seen. Well, you'd either spend the rest of the day in A&E because they decked you <laughs> or they'd be running off in floods of tears. But they'll speak to themselves like that. Yeah. So is it ever any wonder that our language is then creating these emotions that go with it? I mean, one that flashed up for me, and this it wasn't me saying it admittedly, but I'm going back to my... Um, on my son, let's check my, my part three, uh, which I passed second time. And this isn't, again, blaming the examiners at all. It's my responsibility. But the first attempt, when the examiner came out on the walk to the car, she was talking about the test straight away. Um, the second attempt on the walk to the car, the examiner never mentioned the test. 
Yes. She was asking me how I'd been that morning. And by the time I got in the car, I felt all nice and relaxed. Yeah. And that's not the examiner's responsibility. It's not their responsibility to make me at ease. That's, that's mine. But I've just felt the difference massively. And, and that's always did stuck in my head. Did they make you feel like that? Or did you choose to feel like that? Oh, don't, <laughs> don't be doing these, these tricks on me. <laughs> but probably a bit of both. <laughs> you see... People can do and say things and act in certain ways that would elicit a specific emotional response from you. But what we say is ultimately you choose how you feel. Now, it, it's, you know, if you've got somebody who's getting a full-blown panic attack, you can't just go, oh, calm right down, you're fine. It, you know, it doesn't work like that. There's a lot more to it. But ultimately, by using the correct language and the correct techniques, we can control our emotional response. So it's appropriate to the event that we're in. So I jokingly say to somebody, so say I've got a learner who's got their um, driving test coming up and they're really terrified. I'll go, on a scale of a bad hair day through to this being your deathbed moment of I had the worst life ever. My life was horrendous. You don't know just how bad my life was. I failed a driving test. So on a scale of bad hair day through to deathbed moment, where's this test? Well, yeah, it's a little bit worse, failing a test a bit worse than a bad hair day, but it's certainly not as bad as a deathbed. It's not going to be your dying words. And that just helps put it into some form of perspective for them. I mean, there's a lot more to be done than that, but it just gives you an idea of how their language is creating their emotional response and then their behaviours and then their traits when they're on test. Yeah, and... Kind of we mentioned my standards check there, and I kind of I want, I want to swing this round <laughs> to ADIs and PDIs for a minute because I'd be interested with your 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 thoughts on this because part of the the, the premise behind this podcast is to offer alternatives, to offer to, to showcase new people and new ideas, and so whether it was coaching with Bob Morton or or, or you know uh, this with yourself or whatever it might be, um, it's to put that out there. But I'm sure you know as well as I do, there's an awful lot of resistance to this kind of stuff. There's a lot of driving instructors that, yes. you know, would openly say all this namby-pamby, newfangled yeah. nonsense. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, again, a, a two-part question. Firstly, how much of that have you come across? And secondly, what would you say to those instructors? Right. I was chatting to uh, might have been Bob Morton or no, it was Michael from Go Roadie. And we had this same conversation because we were talking about performance anxiety. And you'll have the instructors. I mean, it's getting less and less now because of the younger ones coming in, the millennials, and they're getting more emotion and we're moving more over to client centered and coaching. So thankfully, we're starting to catch up with other industries in this area but there's still the dyed in the wall ones no such thing as nerves if they can drive then they shouldn't be nervous um if they're nervous that just means they're not ready i'm sorry that's the biggest load of rubbish going we, we had the talk about this um, i think it was barbara streisand who she had a really bad episode on stage once and she now has prompts for everything everybody knows adele i mean you know adele's a magnif magnificent performer and there was actually projectile vomit, she said, over an audience member. And I'm trying to think, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, his quote was, to say I get stage fright is like saying if an atom bomb went off, it'd hurt a bit. So 
there is a definite link between ability and performance, but their nerves. So as you said, you can have your confident lad that goes in and they fail, um, but they're still full of confidence. You can have somebody who's lacking in ability, but has the confidence and they might still go and pass just on the day. So yes, there is a link between it. So for those ADIs who say there's no such thing as nerves and they should grow a pair, pull themselves together or whatever, I would wholeheartedly disagree. So just pausing the show for a moment to thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate you taking time to listen. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you click subscribe so it comes into your feed every time you get a new episode. And if you're feeling extra generous, go and leave us a nice little five-star review. It does help the show get noticed. Also, tell your friends, share it on social media. I'm a fan of the show. I hope you are too. So tell people about it. As well as that, I'm also going to tell you about our subscription feed. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor, and you can find a link for this in the show notes or on any social media, that's basically the instructor podcast premium feed. So over there, you get access to all kinds of bonus stuff. Plus, you usually get the shows early. As well as that, you get access to the full green room episode so the one coming out later this week will be chris benstead and that goes on for 90 minutes which you'll get full access to over on our patreon feed so head over to patreon.com forward slash the instructor and if you've got any questions about that feel free to get in touch i'm easy to get hold of on facebook twitter instagram email whatever just shout loud enough i'll find you but enough for that i'm gonna let you enjoy the rest of the show I think there's been a lot at the moment about these new triggers and everything. And again, as with the ADI community and everything, there seem to be two or three different camps. The one camp, thankfully, is so what can we do? Blow the fact that it might set a trigger off. What can we do to help our learners to be safe, confident, competent drivers on the road? That's the ideal. At the absolute other end is somebody posted on there the other day. Um, well, it's not my fault if they go to pieces on the day. If if they can't if they can't control themselves, why does it have anything to do with me? So, do we look at it holistically and say, when presenting a candidate candidate for test, are we just getting them physically test ready, or is it our duty or our job as well to help them be mentally prepared for the stress of the test itself? And I think those ADIs, regardless of whether you're setting triggers off or not, I think those ADIs and PDIs that can get the pupils mentally as well as physically ready are going to be the ones that, down the line, they're going to be um, the sought-after ones. Yeah. I mean, selfishly for me, I always, uh, right from day one, and it was, again, I accidentally stumbled across this whole process, but my idea was, hold on, when these pass, they're going to be on the road with me. Crap, yes, I need exactly. to get these up to a good standard. <laughs> you know? um, Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I see a lot of that in our industry, that that old school mindset of, you know, I've done it this way for 30 years and I've never had any problems. Why should I why yeah. should I change? I mean, just actually on the standards check, I'd be interested to know what your opinion is um around the the, the new system that the DVSA is, is putting slash put into place. Um I was talking to Chris Benson about this the other day, and we're saying, uh, or Lee Jarrett, and we're saying for lots of the coaches in the industry, I think there's going to be a lot of scared ADIs who 
might not have been as concerned about the pass rate before, but now they're worried about it um, because they don't want to do more Sanders checks. Um, I, in one way, the theory behind it, I think, isn't a bad idea. If we're getting pupils better prepared, then the surely the test waiting times go down. But it's the way that it's been done, isn't it? So I don't want to get into the political debate there because there's, you know, you can argue both sides of it, can't you, whether it is or isn't a good idea. I think from my perspective is more ADIs and PDIs are coming to me than ever because they, they're worried about being triggered for a, a standard check every year rather than one every four years with a badge. So they know that they can have the best driver on the day. But if that driver can't control the nerves, they're likely to fail. So I think more and more people are signing up for, a bit of a plug, but signing up for Driving Test Nurse Pro, uh, free for the first month, then it's $9.95 a month to give up to 30 students access. So I think it works about about 30p a student to give them access to all of mining Chris's techniques. We're not going to say that, you know, it's going to be perfect for everybody. For those who do have really severe anxiety disorders, then they might need to come into therapy with Chris or have a one-to-one with me. But I would say a good 90% of pupils, if they are test-ready physically, the techniques in the course will help them mentally to remain calm, relaxed, and focused on test. And obviously, ADIs and PDIs can use the techniques themselves as well for their own part threes or standards checks. I mean... Yeah, a couple of things on that. Firstly, I, uh, as we record this, I am, uh, well, no, I'm 40 next year um, on the 1st of October. So oh between... God, I'm old enough to be your mum. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Just, 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 I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I'm squeezing it. <laughs> yeah. um, there's something you're not telling me, eh? Or is this is this some kind <laughs> of surprise, surprise moment? Or um, No, so... Uh, but between my 39th birthday and my 40th birthday, I've set myself this little goal of working with 40 different uh, people on yeah. different aspects, not just driving school stuff, but diff- different aspects around personal and professional development. Uh, you are on that hit list, Diane. You are on my, my list, top right? 40, yeah. So I will be in touch at some point. Just but, a sort of embarrassment, yeah. Yeah, yes. That, <laughs> screw, screw the Sanders check. I need to get rid of these rosy red cheeks. <laughs> Um, the the other thing I was going to ask is, like you said, there are a lot of um, instructors out there that are panicking, um, yes. probably some rightly so, because the teaching isn't up to standard, but, you know, there'll also be some that are panicking unnecessarily because that's their mentality, and, and I'm not saying particularly that's right or wrong. But So for people in, in, in those situations that are really starting to worry now and probably letting it affect the way they teach in a negative way. What advice would you give to those people now? I mean, I'm sure that coming in and to you for help and stuff will be high up on there, but but what advice would you be giving to people? Okay, so it's a balance. As with a learner driver, there's no difference between a learner taking the test, a surgeon qualifying, or an ADI taking the test. For whatever sphere that you're in, whatever industry, you need a balance of confidence and competence. So if you might have, let's take a seasoned ADI who's been doing the job 30 years, has done all the coaching, as absolutely incredible, but they suffer performance anxiety like Adele. 
then they're not going to perform to the best because their brain's going to be flooded with the stress hormones called sun adrenaline, causes brain freeze and fog, can't process, can't think clearly. On, so that's where they've got the competence, but they haven't got the confidence. Flip that, you might have an ADI or PDI or learner who's super confident, but they just haven't got the ability. Again, they're going to fail. So it's really making sure you've got a balance of both. So working with a trainer, so my Chris does um, a course to help usually ADIs and PDIs who've gone the rest of the training and they're probably on their final attempt and whatever they've done before hasn't worked. So Chris works with those. I tend to work on the nerve side. So I will work on the performance anxiety. So I can't help anyone pass a part three or standards check if their teaching ability isn't at the required standard. What I can do is cut out the nerves, cut out the adrenaline, cut out the cortisol, so they don't go into that zombie mode. You know how a learner, um, they come to a roundabout and they just zone out and they could be in the right lane with the right signal and all of a sudden turn left. Or you could be going, break, break, break. And because the course on adrenaline shuts down the hearing, they get auditory exclusion. The peripheral vision shut down because they're running away from that saber-toothed tiger, otherwise known as a roundabout. Same happens to ADIs and PDIs. So they zone out. They're not focusing on what their pupil is telling them. So the lesson isn't then client-centered. The um, peripheral vision shutting down. So you know the old like hand-eye and foot faults and it's fault identification, analysis, rectification, going back to the old way as we used to describe it, but you're still doing the same things. They're missing those because they're just zoning out. So we've got to have that confidence up there. And yes, that's where we can help with either online courses, come to workshops or our one-to-ones. You said something else there that you mentioned around the learners, and I think it's massively key and I think it's massively underplayed which is you said that if you're not if your teaching is not up to the required standard yeah. your nerves are almost irrelevant at that point you, you, your skill has to be up to that standard so you could yes. cover the nerves you could cover the adrenaline side of it but if you still can't do the job then yeah. you're not good enough and the same Absolutely. applies for same applies for learners and I think that we forget that as instructors sometimes we don't want to put a learner on to test who's not ready and we'll try and talk them out of it but we don't look at ourselves like that. Mm. You know, we don't look at our own personal development. And you put that a lot more nicely than a lot of the guests I have on it. Um, <laughs> a lot of the guests I have on it from outside the industry, uh, experts in their own personal stratosphere. And um, they'll just say, get good. Yeah. Get good at what you do. Don't yes. nitpick, you know, invest in someone like yourself or a part free trainer or a standards check course. You know, I went on one the other week with Bob Morton or whether it's, you know, try coaching or whatever. There's all, there's loads of quality stuff out there. Go and invest in that to get your skills up. And I would also hazard a guess, and I'm sure that you can maybe put me right on this. The more you improve your skill, your confidence will probably start to edge up with that as well. Absolutely, because you're you're confident in your ability. So in they do go hand in hand. So as somebody gets oh, this might be Chris can say hello. Oh, look at this, Chris with a coffee. <laughs> Another fellow Yorkshireman. <laughs> Will you come and say hello? Oh, you're on this. Yeah, we've been recorded, but come and say hello. We, we are currently live to three thousand people. 
<laughs> just, just, you, just you a wish. bit. <laughs> <laughs> we're just, How you doing, buddy? I'm not bad yourself. Yeah, well, doing well, doing well. We're just talking about the balance for ADIs, PDIs, also learners of confidence and competence. And you've got to have both. And as we were just saying, you can have all the confidence in the world, but if you've not got the ability, you're not going to pass that test. I think I was having this conversation with Lee Jowett the other day about investing in CPD. Um, Chris and I charge £110 for the workshop. And then we take a certain percentage, the association that runs it, takes some for the catering and the room hire and everything. And I won't mention one, but I was accused the other day of ripping somebody off um, for what we charge for a workshop. And we're thinking, do you know what? It's a day's worth of training. Chris has been a psychotherapist for the best part of 20 years. Me and ADI, 20 years and therapy, 13. You've got all this information, all the resources that you get with it for 100 quid. I used to be a medical rep and they'd be paying £2,000 a day for training. And I think this industry is, Lee Jarrett and I were talking about this, this industry is so far behind compared and insular. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, take it to the medical professional, whatever, I used to be a medical rep, so far behind in terms of CPD. He's playing catch up, I think, a lot now. Mm -hmm. But if you look to 16 years ago when you qualified, how much CPD was there out there? we're probably going to have to add another round to this podcast now and, and dive into this topic because this is a big one. And the yeah. the thing for me, like you just said, um, that person accused you of ripping them off. Did they actually attend the course? Um, no. Well, <laughs> it, it was one of, shall I just say, it was one of the committee members of a particular group. Right. Uh, we were scheduled to do a workshop. And then um, I think they, they made a jokey comment about... Um, Angela Rippon back in the 70s and called me Diane Ripoff. And I've got to say, I was quite hurt by this because the hours and hours and hours that Chris and I have put into helping people for free. And once we've done a workshop, it's not just the workshop, it's all the support afterwards. It's all having access to the courses. It's the ongoing support. It's the Zoom sessions you do. It's talking to the PDIs and giving them a free session when they go, oh, I've got my part three, can I help with this? And all the ongoing support that you give um, during for the whole of lockdown, we gave our driving testers pro free for three months to any instructor who wanted it when they weren't teaching for the whole 18 months just to help people out. And on top of that, it yeah. took 18 months to write the brand yeah, new course. Yeah, it's taken 18 months for writing this new course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you can get a psychotherapist for eight hours for less than £100 or around £100, I'd like to know where they are. <laughs> because back in the 80s, a psychotherapist for a day's in camps, children and adolescent mental services, in other words, a school who wanted a psychotherapist to charge psychotherapists, back then was £349 per day. So you've got, you've got, a <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go down this yeah, road. It's such an offence. Um, yeah. But people have their perception where things and values are. Mm. But when you look at the bigger picture, and if I talk about my industry not being driving, although I'm a qualified driving instructor, but my industry is psychotherapy behaviourism. That's why I have so many people with it. Um, but I'm a qualified driving instructor as well, and I know the world of driving instructor, of course I do. But it's the only profession I know that minimises mm. the level of training, the cost of yeah. it, where I would, I would be delighted to get an international speaker, not to say I'm an international speaker, but I'm, I'm well-respected with the industry that, as in psychotherapy. 
very well respected. But if you get an industry speaker, you're talking thousands. Mm-hmm. You're getting someone who's just doing the next session, which is about our children, charging between £349 a day to £599. And we want to do it for £110 to give everybody a chance to catch up mm-hmm. what's happening in the world because you're not aware of it. In mm-hmm. our industry, driving instructing, is not aware of what's happening with our our children, and we come up with con- content like snowflakes or whatever, and that's the best we can do. That's actually good. We, we, um, I'll give you the link and um, to the workshop, and it, it, we jokingly called it Snowflake Syndrome, and then put underneath, <laughs> why do so many instructors use this derogatory term? So we're not saying we're using it, but you'll go onto the funny side or, you know, the groups, and they'll go, oh, bleep, 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 snowflake, needs the mum to do everything for them. And so what Chris and I have been doing, mainly Chris, for the last 18 months is really looking into this and why it's happening. And, you know, I said at the start in the intro that um, World Health Organization figures by 2022 say that at least 50 percent of our children will be experiencing and be diagnosed with some form of anxiety. Compare that to 15 years ago. And the figure for girls was 7.9 percent. Yeah. So as, as we said, you know, for those instructors who say, oh, nerves don't matter, no such thing as anxiety, oh, you're going to have a shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've, I mean, got have, you've got to have skills to know how to cope with it. Mm. And from the noise of the industry, they don't know how to cope with it. And, and with several people are wanting the head of our profession to take note about what we've produced here um, because we desperately need to know this. Mm. We, we must know it. Two-thirds of the people, children that we're going to teach are, are going to have a, a, at least a level of mental health suffering. Mm-hmm. Half of them, they say it's 64% to be accurate, mm-hmm. 64% of our teenagers, young, young people, are going to suffer from some mental health. Now, that's, that's not to, to minimise the industry's mental health mm-hmm. in conjunction with them. Instructors as well, yeah. If you come into my, my world... Most of the people I see are instructors. Yes. <laughs> They're in therapy. Now, I don't want to demean anyone, but stress is stress and human. And if we don't know how to cope with it, don't know how systems are to, how to come around it to help our young people, then we're going to lose a half to two-thirds of our profession because they won't stay in the car for panicking. No. And they're going to be spending so much money on lessons. I was talking to... Um... I'm going to leave. I didn't right. realise. I didn't, Thank you very much. I, I didn't want to... Uh, um, just ten, just give you the coffee and say goodbye. But uh, I'm just going to prepare for therapy. All right. right. Valuable input as ever from Mr. Allsop. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> nice meeting you. Um, yeah, you too, sir. I was talking to um, Harry Debling this morning and he rang me up and said, I'm going to get this girl to give you a call. I've done a lesson with her today and her nerves are off the scale. She really needs help. And I spoke to her and I said, you know, we charge £90 for one-to-one. That's about two hours and you get the course for free. So for that, I'm charging probably about £30 an hour, you know, which, you know, I don't think is a huge amount for the skills that we're offering. I said, oh, I'll have to think about it. So if she bought our online course, which is what £29.95, about the cost of an average driving lesson, depending where you are in the country, Harry himself said, Di, I've told her there's no point in having lessons. She's just not learning anything. She's so anxious. So for the cost of one driving lesson, we could probably save them 10 lessons. 
because we know as ADIs that if they're in um, a place of stress, if they're in crisis, if they're in anxiety mode, they're not taking anything in. And how many times do you get the learner back and you're repeating the same thing as you've done for the last three or four lessons? And it's not like you've done 20 separate lessons, but one lesson repeated 20 times because they're just not getting it. It's it's something that, that as, as you were talking before with, with Chris as well, and it's something that bothers me. It is. It's, I, I flippantly joked about we need another hour now. There's an element of truth in that because it, yeah. it really bothers me because I look at the generation of today and you get all these people talking about, oh, they've got it easy. And you know what? In some ways they have. We, mm-hmm. You know, they have. They don't have to go out down coal mines. Not that I ever did. But, okay. you know, the in that sense, the life continues to improve. However, there's a massive poverty level in our country at the minute. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, I, I cannot get my head around what it must be like to grow up in this era, mm-hmm. the internet era of the iPhone and social media. And I genuinely had kind of reluctant to say this. I'm going to say it, and I might edit it out afterwards, actually. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate. I mean, I'm not going to name her. But I did have a student that got caught up, was sat on a lesson a while back, and, and she was a, she just seemed really down. And she, you know, I don't push them to tell me why, but I always mm-hmm. tell them they can. And sort of halfway through the lesson, she got a bit upset. And she told me, and it was because uh, this, this last was 19, and... Um, She'd sent a, a boyfriend a, a certain type of photo and, and yes. <laughs> boyfriend had put it all online. Uh, basically, yeah. Dachshund put it online. Mm-hmm. And it's bothering it. I'm like, I cannot imagine what that must be like. This is a 19-year-old girl. And it's, it goes on younger than that. You know, yeah. I, I read a thing the other day where it's saying that 13-year-old girls are getting pressured by boys of the same age to do that. Yes. No, no, this is nothing to do with driving, but that's a different era. It is to do with driving. That's, you know, that's where you, you think you sort of separate it. But when if Chris was still here, he because he's done much more of the research on this side because he's a child uh, psychotherapist, and when we do the workshops and all the new stuff we're doing, this is because all of these emotional issues are then coming through into the driving. And, you know, we said earlier about, are they anxious because it's their driving test or is the driving anxiety the outcome of other anxieties? And it's lack of communication, it's uh, digital media, it's how they spend their lives. I mean, Chris has done, oh, we've got stacks and stacks of research. And um, I had to get our workshop agenda over to Alan for the Sheffield workshop. And we, Chris and I were on holiday a couple of weeks ago and we sat there for three days trying to put this agenda together and the workshop started out at about five days. <laughs> I was like, how can we get all this lot and give such unique content into a day's workshop? So obviously a lot of it's going to be stuff that instructors get to go home with us as well. But it, it's a huge subject and you can't nowadays, you never could, but especially nowadays, you just cannot, Terry, split the mind and the body yeah. and say, "What? Well, this is the syllabus, you know, the old style of teaching. Today's exercise, we're going to be a turn in the road. The object of the exercise is, with little or no help from me, by the end of which, blah, 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 it, it, it ain't like that anymore. Yeah. And we have got to be aware of the mental health of them. I mean, I probably phrase that badly. I think I meant it wasn't, it's not directly related to driving, but indirectly it has that impact. Absolutely. And, you know, it affected a lesson. 
she got upset. She couldn't drive. We pulled up and we're miles away from home. And then I'm like, right, do you want me to drive you back? Or she, she can't talk for a minute. And she told me, and it's like, it's a different world. And yeah. anyone now, any, like for me, I'm 38 now. If I was to say, I cannot say that I could handle this as a teenager because I don't know because I'm not in that situation. I couldn't say I could handle anything because I'm not in that situation. You don't know until you try it. The, the, the thing for me is how many full-blown like adults do we say on Facebook that have temper tantrums because of something someone said on Facebook? And these are 40-year-olds whose yes. hormones are all over the place. But then we expect the teenager... To be able to handle it, I don't know. It just baffles me. I think that we've, I think that as, I'm sorry, we've gone on a bit of a rant now. I do apologize. No, no, that's fine. That's it's good. <laughs> I think as an industry, sometimes, and obviously not us all, I'm not mean to generalize too much, but there's some dicks in our industry. Oh, yeah. Some prize ones, yes. And there's, it's the same old trolls that crop up. I won't mention any names, but it's the same old ones that have a pop. And then there'll be the likes of Lee Jowett, Chris Benstead, or whoever that comes backing going do you know what Diane and Chris do for the industry blah 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 you know um I mean talking about these children again we'd never mention names that we Chris decided to do the one-to-one for fears and the anxiety Chris does the deeper therapy stuff and Chris has actually had this last 18 months and still has at the moment a few of the teenagers 13 14 year olds of our fellow driving instructors in therapy with him mm. And these, these are great people. These instructors are great people. They're not bad parents, but it's what's happening socially to them. So I've just been talking about ADIs that aren't brilliant. So I'm going to swing this around, finish on a bit more of a positive note and talk about ADIs that are brilliant. So, Diane, sell yourself. Tell us about you and what you got from all and where people can find you. Okay, so you can find us at the website, which is lofawaytopass.com. So I'll give the links to Terry. We are running a range of workshops around the country. Um, Sheffield is already full. We'll have a date for Kent soon, a date for Stoke soon. We've got a mm, couple of others coming in as well. Uh, Lee Jow is in Manchester. And this will train instructors in all of our weird and wonderful techniques as driving test nurse specialists. So you'll be then, anybody who attends a workshop is featured on the website as such. So if people search for it, they'll find you. We have our Driving Test Nurse Pro. So if you think Theory Test Pro, same style of thing. So learners can buy our Driving Test Nurse online course, but instructors can sign up for $9.95 a month, free for the first month, no contract, and they can sign up and give up to 30 students access to all the techniques in the Driving Test Nerves online course and the ebook, How to Beat Driving Test Nerves and Anxiety. We do have a few other bits and bobs as well. Um, I do my one-to-one sessions for particularly anxious learner drivers or those with driving anxiety or ADIs and PDIs with part twos, threes or standards checks. I've had um, quite a few of the people from the lovely Lou Walters group. So a little plug for Lou and Hergo Green and her PDI group. And I've worked with a few of the people on that. So they all seem quite happy with the um, the one-to-ones that we do. So there you go. little plug over with. Awesome. Well, like I said, uh, for, from from uh, crap to awesome. And I like that, that awesomeness. <laughs> 
All the links for that will be in the show notes. If you listen now, I always recommend take the time to go look at the show notes, not just to this show, but to any podcast you listen to, because you can find some real gems in there and go and find where those links take you. Um, you can usually find some interesting stuff. But one question I like to ask our guests just to wrap up on is I'd like you to leave us with a little book review. So if not book review, a book recommendation. Uh, we don't have a full review. But if you want to recommend us a book, that'd be brilliant. Right. Um, there's a guy called Professor Steve Peters. Now I'm going to hold the book up and then I realise you're on a, a podcast. So that's, that's, yeah, for those of you listening in black and white, yes. Um, the Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters. Um, Mike Chris, who you met earlier, and Steve Peters both studied at Sheffield Hallam. So they were both at the same unit, not at the same time. And he has this wonderful idea of splitting the brain into three parts. Your rational, logical bit your computer, and then your chimp. And on all of our courses, we've unshamedly pinched this analogy of the chimp because it's such a lovely analogy for pupils and ADIs or PDIs to recognise when it's chimp thinking, when it's emotional, illogical, irrational thinking compared to thinking with wisdom, logic and understanding. Um, Right, instructor rings me up the other day and says, Diane, I'm really annoyed with you. I'm going to have to change my car. Why is that? Because I've got a troop of chimps on my back seat. <laughs> and because all the pupils bring the chimps on lesson, and rather than recognising logical thought or rational thought, if they recognise it as chimp thinking, we use methods to calm it down. So pupils and PDIs jokingly have a name for the chimp, sit it on the back seat under its comfort blanket, it has a nap, while they do the driving lesson or the test. And I know it sounds so silly, but in recognising irrational, illogical, emotional thought, you can then split emotion from logic. I think I'm going to just cut on, touch on a couple of points there. Firstly, um, I'm going to praise you on your use of language because where you said it, it sounds silly, I would have said it is silly, which is my <laughs> poor use of language and the way I would defend myself saying it. Um, the other thing I'll mention is, have you ever seen the film? I think it's like 1984 or something like that, an old horror film called Critters. Oh, not critters. In, in our new stuff we're doing, we we changed the chimps because we're writing a new program called Phoenix for Schools, and we've actually changed the, the chimp for gremlins. Ah, gremlins like would work. Yeah. The, the reason I mention that is because uh, I cannot picture a chimp as being anything other than nice and playful. So my chimp turned into a critter from the from the film. <laughs> yes. Well, that's quite because we we've used the gremlin analogy and Maguire and all that. So if you think of your, the, the problem is. This, this could be quite lengthy, but basically the issue is that most people will try and beat themselves up. So instead of nurturing and supporting their emotional side, they'll beat it up, get a grip, pull yourself together, stop being so pathetic. And the problem with all that is you're having this internal battle. So when you think of your emotional side as your chin, that isn't something that's a horrendous creature inside you. It's something that's scared, that's worried, that's fearful of that part three or standard check, that's scared of that big roundabout, that's scared of that saber-toothed tiger that's chasing them. So if you think of your chimp in terms of, yes, it might be a little bit naughty, but that really is something that needs to be cared for, looked after and nurtured, then you're supporting yourself with kind supporting language, not beating yourself up. Yeah. Um, On that note... I am going to thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, and I re- really appreciate you uh, giving us your time today. 
It's been lovely to see you and uh, look forward to having a lesson. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook. Talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. So if you're still listening to the show, then you're clearly one of the intelligent people that hangs about until the end, much like Diane Hall has done, because she's also clearly intelligent. Uh, thank you for <laughs> staying about for these uh, last quickfire questions, Diane. Are you ready? I'm ready. Fire ahead. Okay, first question, dog or cat? Oh, dog. Got to be Newfoundland. That's the correct answer. Well, well done. <laughs> uh, Favourite book of all time? Oh, what the bleep do we know? All about quantum physics. Not heard it. I will, <laughs> I will go look that one up. Uh, would you ever consider going vegan? No, because we're pretty much carnivore. Favourite film of all time? Got to say, I haven't got one. Okay. Keeping mum, keeping mum. That's a funny one. Yeah. What do you refer to students as? Is it students, customers, learners, pupils? Uh, I tend to say clients because we have learners and... Uh, therapy clients as well so clients okay what's your proudest achievement oh should i be really sad and say meeting chris and doing and doing our business together what's your proudest professional achievement (laughs) oh um adi njc award going back a few years but actually no uh the millennium awards trust for social entrepreneurs from unlimited and lastly, give me one goal that you would like to achieve going forward. Oh, world domination in terms of instructors being aware that nerves and emotions do affect the learning process. I don't know whether world domination or instructors being aware is which one of those is more likely. So, but, uh, <laughs> but thank you for hanging about just for those last few questions. Uh, and I'm going to let you disappear and enjoy the rest of your day. Terry, absolute pleasure to meet you and we'll uh, hopefully chat again soon. Well, do. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.